Welcome to the Music of America podcast, where every week we visit a different state in America and meet a different guest in the music industry. Every day, Monday through Friday. We begin in Alabama, and we end in Wyoming. I'm your host, Tom Pollard. Let's talk music here on the Music of America. The Music of America podcast continues today. We're in Bowie, Maryland, and our guest is Dave Bass, and we're going to talk a little gospel. Years ago, I got into an accident at work where I ended up spending the month on my stomach while my back wounds healed. I had scalded and severely burned my lower back. Well, about two weeks into my healing, I realized I hadn't had a cigarette in two weeks, so I quit smoking. Now, while that worked for me, I don't suggest it for anybody else. Thank goodness, though, we've got a company called Laser Therapy South located just outside of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Since 2003, Laser Therapy South has helped thousands of people all over the world quit smoking, reduce stress, and alleviate chronic and acute pain. Laser Therapy South has developed its own unique approach to tackle both the physiological and habitual components of addiction to help you achieve total success. Laser Therapy, it's an acupuncture-based treatment that originated in Canada and Europe about 25 years ago. Your success is measured immediately. Laser Therapy is instantaneous, so your treatment date is also your quit date. The laser is a cold or therapeutic laser. It doesn't produce heat. It doesn't cut tissue where a lot of clients more walk away feeling as though they've had a massage after their treatment. www.lasertherapysouth.com where all your questions can be answered. Check them out if you want to quit smoking. Laser Therapy South, where being a quitter is a good thing. So uh, we had a little bit of fun with this at the beginning. So it's Bowie, not Bowie, or Bowie maryland and and it's dave and not david and it's bass not bass although they're all spelled the same way <laughs> yeah can we just change your name to like jim smith from anaconda <laughs> i mean i had to go back and change all my cds and everything. oh no don't want to do that <laughs> security and okay and go back to elementary school and they start calling me something else <laughs> so uh when when dave and i first met we met over the the internet uh, when I was trying to get guests to come on from Maryland and he wrote me and said, uh, he's got a gospel so- style similar to the old Sam cook gospel. And that just hooked me, you know, because Sam cook had some of the, the, well, I mean, that was his transition too into, into R and B, wasn't it? Like he did mm-hmm. gospel. And then he was, I think at one time he was probably more popular as a gospel singer than he was an R and B singer. Well, he certainly, um, one of the things that's interesting about it is Sam took over from a legend, Pop Harris. Pop Harris is a guy that uh, defined really quartet lead singing. And one of the reasons why the Soul Stirs are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh-huh. is because of what their contribution was stylistically to the music. Quartet is four, but the Soul Stirs added a fifth guy, essentially making okay. it a quartet. Uh-huh. And that fifth guy was Pop Harris, who uh, you know, they, they were a Texas group. So they had like a Texas kind of light harmony type of sound, but it lent itself to the popular kind of, you know, thing. So Pop got, gets in and he comes up with all kinds of, you know, configurations, you know, musically in terms of vocalizing and things like the laid time, et cetera. And the whole idea was that this fifth guy was supposed to really get into what we call sister flute, sister flute, which is, you know, arouse the congregation to get them really going uh-huh. without throwing the background off. So that's what, what happened. So at one point, Soulsters was like the top group, and then Pop decided he wanted to leave. So the Soulsters were in a quandary. What are we going to do? And the individual that um, that they found auditioned to come in was a young Sam Cook, who they really knew about Sam, because one uh-huh. of the guys in the Soulsters uh, was kind of tooling Sam in a small group there in Chicago, a group of guys that Sam yeah. was with in high school. But he started out in golf, and the thing that he led to gospel, he brought youth into it. Uh-huh. And then, you know, uh, if you see any pictures of Sam, the ladies would say he was an eye key, you know, eye, eye candy. Eye he, candy was a hand, yeah. he was a handsome guy, but he's talented. And so he ushered in a whole youth movement. The music was changing. Um, you know, he grew up in Chicago, although he's from Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, all of the conventions that they listen on the radio, the doo-wop, et cetera, and all that. But he grew up in a, in a religious environment. And so, you know, he came uh, and he just took the group to a different kind of level because of, you know, what he was able to bring. It yeah. took him a little while. Now, it didn't, you know, it didn't happen on the spot. He had to kind of learn uh, and, and find his way. But when he found it, one of the things, you know, his famous yodel, 
Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, well, that that started by accident. You know, you you know, Soulsters would sing a song, and Pop Harris you know, had a high register, and you know, they pitched the song, and they kind of forgot Pop wasn't there, and the song was kind of high. Uh -huh. So Sam was out there, and he had to figure out a way how to get to the particular note. So he kind of did that little thing where he kind of rolled up to right, it. rolls his okay. way up, yeah, and it was. At the time, it was, you know, a fresh sound. Nobody really heard of it. And so the manager of the group, uh, Asheroy Crane, said, well, I don't know what it was you did, but whatever it is, keep doing it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, he became a, a sensation. And but more importantly, the youth, people, yeah. you know, the young people started coming. So that's his significance. And then, of course, when he decided to, to, to leave and transition over in the pop, it wasn't necessarily an easy thing. And, and he wasn't the first Okay, because prior to him, you had Sister Rosetta Tharp. Okay, mm -hmm, and they right, just had a play right. recently about her. Uh, she's also in the Rock and Hall of Fame, and in fact, she played guitars. If you listen to BB King, Chuck Berry, um, right. you know whether you listen to you know any of the God, Eric Clapton, all those folks, you know this lady really <laughs> is really she really had an impact. But she left. She played with Lucky Millen, the big band guy. Mm -hmm. And she'd go to gospel. Like she was real popular. As a matter of fact, she was so popular, she got married right here in Washington, D.C. at the old Griffin Stadium, and they sold tickets. Okay. She was gospel. Uh -huh. So there was a precedent for what Sam did. But inside of our community at the time, you know, uh, it was kind of frowned upon. If you were in gospel, you know, it was like two music, uh, two, two types of music. It was gospel. And anything else was the devil's music. <laughs> so there was a lot of agony and soul searching. But Sam had some things going for him. Probably the the most important thing was that his father was a minister. He was a preacher's kid. Yeah. And so his father, when he talked to him about, you know, leaving, because he was a little trepid about doing that. But his father said, well, you know, you have a good voice and, and, and God gave you that voice. It's a gift. Uh, he must want you to make people happy. And then the other thing he told me, he said, well, remember, if you got the singing, you know, you're making a living. OK, and you got family right. support. So he had that kind of support, even though he's still kind of, you know, a little agonized uh, about it. But when he made the particular transition, um, you know, again, he had to find his way. But he had a, a, a captive audience. All the young people that right. remembered him and the old folks remembered him from the gospel days you know, came right over with him because in gospel, it was like all of the stuff that you see in the pop thing, you know, Sam would come to town, Soul Stairs would come, you know, and all of a sudden, all the young kids, the ladies, you know, right. and the thing about him is he appealed to everybody. The guys liked him because he was cool, okay, and, you know, nice suit. The ladies liked him because he looked good and he could sing. So, I mean, it's fascinating stuff, mm -hmm. but this is about Dave Bass. That's right. I say that. I say that because what happens is a lot of times when I sing, folks, uh, you know, I think about Sam, and, and invariably the question will come up: you know, Are you related to him? You know, while while no two people are the same, um, you know, everybody stands on someone's shoulder. But I never, you know, I never saw Sam, you know, uh -huh. when he was never a soldier. I was ten years old when, you know, when when uh, you know he his when he passed or died, yeah. um, and all the stories. You know, only thing out is the stories that I heard. I saw him a few times on, you know, TV, but he was still on pop with Dick Clark and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but my uncles, my dad, and all those folks who were in the quartet, they all talked about him. Okay. And so, you know, um, when I started getting interested in music, <laughs> you know, growing up in the church is well, like one of those kinds of things. You go yeah. on, according to my mother, you go on to church. So right. I was like, okay, <laughs> if, I, if I'm going, I got to find something other that I like, you know, and it turned out to be between, say, the music, and the girls, and of course, God, maybe not necessarily in that order. Right. But well, on um, any given yeah, Sunday, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but the, but the music was something that that always got to me. And yeah. and and uh I think the thing that really kind of crystallized and I always think about it is that when I was a little guy, I grew up in the country up in New Jersey in in, in Lakewood, um, uh, ran around Jackson where great adventure stuff is now. But I used to, uh, you know, roll tires and palm trees and all that kind of stuff because I didn't have any brothers. I had a sister and, you know, we yeah. had to negotiate. If she wanted to play, <laughs> if, if I wanted to play Cowboys and Indian, then I had to learn how to play jacks with her. Yeah. Okay? yeah. So that's what right. we do. Most of the time I found ways to occupy myself. But I, one of the things I used to love to do was climb trees. And one day I fell out of a tree literally and, and uh, hurt my arm. And my mother took me to the doctor and the doctor said, well, it's not broken, but it's severely strained. And so what you have to do is just keep him still and he can't, you know, can't let him move it. Right. So 
when I was little, I had a high rac- rascal factor, you know, kind of got a lot of stuff. So my, mo- my mother said, well, I don't know, it's going to be difficult to keep this little guy, you know, from running around and stuff. But, you know, we kind of made it. But every time I tried to move my arm, it hurt. But we went to church and my uncle um, played drums in a, in a country type of church he built. Yeah. And the minister was a fellow named Ella Reed, El- Elder Reed, and he played the guitar. He reminded me of, now that I think about it, he reminded me of Chuck Berry. But he used to sing gospel professionally uh-huh. in Lakewood, where it's kind of situated in between New York City and Philadelphia. And so a lot of times the groups would come through, the gospel groups or whatever. And since Elder Reed, you know, used to know him, someone would stop by the church. So this one Sunday, this group came by. They were called the Eagle Airs from Philadelphia. And, you know, it was a blended group, men and, and, and women. And they were singing, but the lead singer was singing and he had these roads. But this guy was singing a song and he sang a song called God Put a Rainbow in the Sky. And I must have been about seven or eight. And I was sitting there and I watched this guy and he was so engaging. Okay. And I was so mesmerized by what he was doing. Okay. And when it was all over, you know, I kind of realized that, you know, while I was concentrating on him, um, my arm didn't hurt because I wasn't thinking about the arm. Oh, no, right? So, were, so you, let me, let, let me, were you more uh, more enrolled by him playing or his I, singing or the combination I, of the two? I think it was the singing because he was, you know, he was a soloist. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it was, you know, he, you know, when I realized just how much he had drawn me in by the way he was singing, you uh-huh. know, I just said, wow, I like that. And I said, I'd like to, I'd like to do that. I'd like to be able to sing well enough that, you know, it will cause someone who may be going through something, you know, give them a little bit of, you know, sad for the soul and make them feel a little bit better. Not necessarily saying I'm going to heal anybody, but at least give them, you know, some kind of temporary respite from something that's bothering them. And so that's what I strive for when I do sing or when when I write something, but that's where the particular piece came from. It's like the, it's like the spirit kind of got involved, right? The Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit got involved and, and calmed down the pain in your arm so you could get enrolled and brought into the spirit through music which became now your ministry. Well, yeah, you know, because after that, you know, again, a little guy, you know, couldn't necessarily articulate it the way I'm doing now. But, you know, then it was something about music. And music was always around when I was coming up. Uh-huh. And, you know, I always wanted to play play an instrument. And, and what happened with me is that, you know, um, I wanted to play the drums and I wanted to play the uh, keyboards and I wanted to play guitar. And the thing about it was that there was a, a finance part of that equation. <laughs> well, when we, we moved from, from Lakewood, which was kind of country, to uh, Red Bank, New Jersey, where say Count Basie's from, but that's the New York metropolitan area. And so coming up in, in, in school, the way I used to make my money and hustle and stuff was uh, we back then you had bottles and you could get um, deposits on, you know, like soda bottles. Yeah, like five cents on a bottle or something like that. Yeah, but I made the most of my money in the winter because I shoveled snow. And so when the winter came and the snow was there, you know, I had money. And it was a place in Red Bank called the Red Bank School of Music downtown. I went down there to get music lessons and I would pay for the lessons. <laughs> I was paying like five dollars a lesson or whatever. OK, yeah. And I'm that's cool a lot of soda bottles, man. That's a lot of soda bottles. <laughs> man, that's a bag, man, all that stuff. But, but you know, as long as it snowed, I was cool. But it's like, you know, the snow stopped and paying $5 a pop. I never did uh-huh. get to be proficient on any of those instruments, right? Uh-huh. So then the thing was, okay, um, in my house, we always had rec- a radio. And we always had records. And there was always church. And in church, there was always singing. And it wasn't an economic thing. It was, you know, hey. Since I had to go, you know, in the choir, I'm singing. So singing is what I kind of latched on. That was something that fit me, you know, financially. Then it was a matter of finding, I guess, my voice and what I was going to do and how I was going to do it. But, um, you know, I didn't necessarily like the choirs. Again, when I was little, it was like, you know, I didn't like the robes. Okay, so it may sound like a knucklehead thing, but when I was seven to eight, man, the robes looked too much like dresses. And, and they, <laughs> they wasn't singing the kind of stuff I liked, but I always liked the groups. Right. And then, yeah, I, you know, yeah. I started hearing groups like, you know, the Dixie Hummingbirds, et cetera, and all that kind of stuff. And by that time, on the pop side, you know, uh, I was listening to Motown, in particular, Temptations. And then it took me a little while to figure out what I really liked about them, which was that their predicated sound was on a church gospel quartet, Dixie you, Hummingbirds and all that you, stuff. You were in Jersey still at this time, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm so, mm-hmm. I mean, because there was such a great sound that came out of Philly, yep. you know, at the same time Motown's tearing it up. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. which influenced you more? Because Motown came first, 
Well, Mo- Motown compares to Philly sound. You talking about Philly International, Kenny Gamble, Huff, and all those guys? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That that, that organized sound. But TSOP, other, we're going way back, 70s, seventy. Yeah, early that, 70s. that was yeah. like in the seventy. That that would be like around my college days in the seventies oh, okay. and stuff. Okay. But prior to that, Philly still was a music center. I mean, you had Dick Clark coming, you American right, Bandstand right. coming out here. But then you had uh, groups actually Kenny Gamble, you know, his wife, um, Dee Dee Sharp was on a cameo label there. She did, you know, um mashed know potatoes and gimme yeah, yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. And there was always music coming out of out of Philadelphia. I mean you had the Delphonics, you had you know right. different things like that. Um by the time, you know, while all that was going on, it was just that Motown kind of hit because of what Barry Gordy was able to kind of right. organize stuff. And even while Motown was going, there was stuff happening in Chicago with chess records and all that kind of thing. Oh, it was yeah. just that Barry Gordy was able to kind of take it, use the assembly line kind of approach. Uh, and then kind of his whole philosophy was I wanted to make music not just for, say, the black community. I wanted to go beyond that. And so that's what his whole, you know, uh, business you know, kind of critique was yeah. all about, and he was he was quite successful. Um, now, when so, did you start? When did you start writing gospel, or did you ever? Let me ask you: Did you ever cross over and do secular stuff, or has it always been gospel? My preference has always been gospel. I could always do what I wanted to do, but here, here's what happened. And uh, before I joined the group, okay, and really the whole thing was, okay, you want to sing? Can you sing? And I get my family is brutally honest. <laughs> my uncles and all of them, et cetera, man, you know, and the, th- the thing about, I'd say, certainly the religious black community, the older ones, um, you may find folks that say, well, I can't sing, but I know if you're not doing it right, because most of the time they've heard a lot of the greats and stuff, right? Right. So right. the first thing was, you know, kind of, you know, getting to the point where, you know, my uncles and all of them said, well, okay, Dave, you know, you know, you got a voice, et cetera, and all that kind of stuff. So I said, fine, I've got past that. So I was working for an insurance company up in New York, Travelers Group Sale. Yeah. Was living in New uh, living in New Jersey and commuting to work. And so it's like, okay, now I've got to prove on my family, but what I really need to do is, is figure out a way to see if I really have something with some people who don't know me. So in a place called East Orange, New York, I'm sorry, East Orange, New Jersey, yeah. there was a club up there called the Peppermint Lounge. Okay. I knew the folks up there in East Orange, they all kind of knew about the spot. And I would go up there. It was kind of a place where you had uh, uh, an older, uh, upwardly mobile, you know, black middle class kind of crowd. They had a jukebox in there and they had people like, uh, you know, they had, uh, there was Nat King Cole, there was Billy Eckstein, you know, folks like that. And they, they delved into, you know, some, some uh, you know, Arthur Price sock and they may have, you know, um, Roy Hamilton. Uh, there was some Sam stuff in there, but they had this thing called open mic or talent night. Yeah. And so, you know, you go up and, you know, sign up, etc., all that kind of stuff and get up and do something. So my thing was, OK, well, what I want to do is put myself in a situation where nobody knows me and sing a song and see if, in fact, you know how well it, it does uh, in this particular environment. And then the other thing is, if I do well, then the next thing is what I if I can win them over that way, then ultimately I want to win them over singing the kind of song I want to sing, which was a gospel song. Gotcha. So I did that, you know, for a while. I went up, sang, you know, had a couple of regulars, et cetera, and all that. And I remember the uh, the MC was a little guy named Carl Peppermint Howie, you know, and one day he approached me, he said, Dave, you know what? He said, man, he, he said, you can really sing, you know, and the people like you. OK, and he says, no problem. He said, but the only thing is, every time you start singing, people start thinking about church. OK, <laughs> and when they start thinking about church, they start buying to look at the bar. Right? So like, can you know, can you can you not church them so much? Right? So I said, hey, man, I don't know what way to sing. Right. So, funny. so, so the last time I went up, you know, and, and said, because the first time I won, but I had to leave. I had to uh-huh. get up and commute across the bridge over to White Plains. And when I got back the next week, the guy said, hey, man, we look for you. You won. So, you know, you weren't here. We had to get a prize to somebody else. So when I finally got comfortable enough, I said, OK, I've been accepted. So now I'm going to sing the kind of song I want to sing. Uh-huh. And the song that I sung was a, was a song called Jesus Gave Me Water, which is a song written by an important gospel black female writer. Her name is Lucy Campbell. Um, and in fact, it happened to be the song that really made Sam Cook, you know, uh, in the Soul Stirs, because when he took over from Pop, the Soul Stirs had just been signed to a new label out in California, Specialty Records. Uh-huh. And the guy who signed them, signed them, figuring that Pop Harris was going to be in the group. 
And so when they came for the first recording session, he was quite upset and irate that there was no Pop Harris and threatened, you know, to kind of, uh, you know, get an injunction to make Pop, you know, uh, uh, record with the group. Yep. But the manager of the group, S. Roy Crane, told him, say, hey, look, first of all, you know, he's in our group. This is who we want. Pop left us. You either get us with him or you don't get us at all. So the guy kind of backed off. But what he did was most of the time in those days when they recorded, it was recorded like maybe four songs. In this particular instance, you know, he did kind of like a marathon session, kind of snidely referred to Sam as a kid or whatever and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and he recorded a whole bunch of the songs. One of the songs he recorded that day was Jesus Gave Me Water. Um, so they go out on the road um, and the Soul Stirs got out of a rough time because back then none of the groups made money on the records. The records were just a promotional thing. If you had a record out, folks heard it on the radio, they would come to the program. So they kept calling back to, to the record company saying, hey, you know, release that record on Sam, release that record on Sam. Um, they finally released it. And when they did, that's the one that, you know, set Sam, you know, on his course. With so the soul skyrocket, yeah. But yeah. that's the particular song that I sang that everybody knew. OK. Um, and I sang it. And, and after I sang it, I won. I said, OK, um, now I need to find me a, a group to join. I'm ready, you know, to find a quartet. And I had a relative up there who worked. And he uh, had a co-worker who was in a group and they were looking for someone. And he told me, told them about me. They called me up and gave me an audition. Well, let's uh, let's jump you into your songwriting gear then. And the first song we're going to listen to is All Over the Place. How did that come about? What uh, what inspired that? And what's that uh, about? That's that's about the union. We know that God, God is omnipotent, which means he has a whole lot of power. But the other thing is omnipresent. And the nice mm -hmm. thing about it is that, you know, you could be in where you're getting ready to relocate and I could be here in Bowie, Maryland, and God is there at the same time. Okay, yeah. which is yeah. to say, you know, like the stars, I think the line is like a blanket of snow or the thickest of fog. The stars are out of space. My God's got it covered. He's all over the place. Cool. It just refers to the omnipresence of God. And why? Why why to sing to that? What inspired that? Did something just come to you one day? You were driving home and Stopped to get a cup of coffee someplace and thought, you know what? You know, how does how does that work? Because well, I, I don't well, write songs, I, so I certainly don't write gospel. You know, right, right. Well, see, a lot of a lot of it just comes out of personal experiences. Like, um, again, I'll, I'll I'll quote you know Sam on this. You know, uh, it, it's like if you take the time to kind of you know observe what's going on around you and understand the times of your day, then you, you know, you can write something that folks can relate to in that mm -hmm. particular instance. As I said, you know, I do a lot of traveling. One time I had a job where we train, you know, individuals and I had to fly around the country, et cetera. Um, and every time I get on a plane, I, I'm always praying and singing every gospel song I know, but you know, it was amazing. You know, if I go to Philadelphia or if I go to, you know, Chicago, St. Louis or whatever and all that, and I go to a worship service, you mm -hmm. know, um, they're worshiping the same God. So he's like in every place. And I just yeah. thought about that. I said, wow, you know, well, no matter where you go, you can't, even if you wanted to, you can't get away from him. He's just omnipresent he as is. opposed to omnipotent, which is, so yeah. that, that's how I, so I wanted to write something to kind of lend itself to that thought. So he is all over the place. All like over the song the sings. Our guest is Dave Bass from Bowie, Maryland. And this is his first song called All Over the Place. <laughs> Like a blanket of snow, all the thickest of fog, the stars are out of space. My God's got it covered, he's all over the place. All over the place, all over the place. My God's got it covered, he's all over the place. Now if you feel that life is knocking you down And every day it gets a little more bad Just remember that he has it in control And there's no need for you to cry and be sad Cause like a blanket of snow or a thing of fog The stars are out of space My God's got it covered He's all over the place Yes he is All over the place All over the place My God's got it covered He's all over the place now if you're hanging alone on a shaky limb Don't you ever let it make you break a sweat Just remember Jonah deep inside the fish And the lesson that he never would forget He found out like a blade of snow The thickest of fog The stars are out of space Oh my God's got it covered He's all over the place Yes he is All over the place All over the place My God's got it 
discovered he's all over the place. Come on, say all over the place. He's all over the place. All over the place. He's all over the place. You know, Adam and Eve saw an apple tree that the sweetest fruit they'd ever tried. But they soon found out the price they would pay When they got caught as they tried to run and hide Cause like a blanket of snow or the thickest of fall The stars are out of space Oh my God, got it covered He's all over the place Yes he is All over the place All over the place oh, My God, got it covered He's all over the place Now if you feel that life is knocking you down And every day it gets a little more bad just remember that he has it in control And there's no need for you to cry and be sad Cause like a blanket of snow Or the thickest of fog Stars are out of space Oh my God, got it covered He's all over the place Yes he is All over the place All over the place oh, My God, got it covered He's all over the place Right here All over the place All over the place Dave Bass from Bowie, Maryland here on the Music of America podcast. I'm your host, Tom Pollard. We'll get back to Dave and talk about his veteran ministry. B. Normous Productions have been producing and recording music and videos for over 20 years. After years as a performer, the owner, Van Verhoeven, decided to get back to that which he enjoys the most, and that's production. Under the tutelage of Jordan Valeria, he opened up his own place in Millican, Colorado. High-end instruments and high-end tools are on hand to make your sound compete with that sound of your own favorite records. He's got one goal in mind, and that's for you to look and sound as professional as possible. So go make some records with B. Normous Productions. They're on Facebook or at www.thelettermbnormousproductions.com. I love asking this question of some of us old cats, man, because I know I've never done it. But uh, have you ever done a video, like a music video? Not having somebody record you singing, but mm -hmm. an actual music video. Have you ever done one of those? No, but you know what? One of the things I've always something that I've always believed in, certainly now, was because a lot of the songs that I write lend themselves to the imagery and stuff. Um yeah. on my on my first CD, I have a song <laughs> that's called You Can't Fly Higher Than God. And it's a it's a song that really comes out of all the years that I sang quartet. Yeah. And so, you know, you go, you see things, you say, well, why did that happen? Or you say, man, you know, if I had an opportunity, I would do things differently. I mean, I was in groups where we'd go on a program and another group didn't want you to use their microphones. Or, hmm. you, you you know, or a group would let you use their, their microphones, but the microphones weren't, you know, they squealing everything. And then when that group got up to sing, all of a sudden everything is perfect harmony, okay? Yeah. Or, you know, uh, was, I remember one time, I'll never forget, they said, you know, we were on a program, we are singing in the church, and these guys got up and they sang. And right after, the pastor gave them a compliment. And then he asked them, what church do you belong to, right? And boy, they came up with all these very vague existentialist kind of answers or whatever. And the pastor picked it, he said, wait a minute, you all don't belong to a church? Okay. And he said, sit down. <laughs> he said, all of what y'all saying, and they said, it don't matter to nothing. You know, said, don't come back in here no more, you know, unless you connected to a church. I never forgot that. I said, man, I'm going to make sure I'm connected <laughs> with some kind of church. You know, I'm going to play. I mean, you don't have to wait on sleep, but, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. So, you know, you just have to be, you know, uh, you know, kind of conscious of, of what you're representing, et cetera, like that, and, and at least yeah. be willing to stand on something. Um, so when when I do get an opportunity to, to go out and and and, and talk and sing and, 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 you know, talk about what, what I do, you know, I could say, all right, fine. You know, I'm a member of the Springfield Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., a member trustee, uh, and encourage folks, hey, if you ever come to D.C., come to my church. We're streaming now, so, you know, you'll be able to, to, to get it. And it was important for me, for someone, you know, if I go to a small town, because a lot of groups used to do stuff like this here, 
go to a small town and try to act like they're, you know, a big fish or whatever and say I'm from, from Washington, D.C. And two things you have to be concerned about with that. You need to be aware and need to be humble because you can go to some of those small towns. Some folk can come out, you know, from the field somewhere with, you know, bro games on or whatever and sing you under the table and make you wish you were back in D.C. (laughs) Or the other side of the coin is you down there talking and all this stuff. And then those people may come to D.C. and say, hey, man, you know, we heard a guy named, you know, Dave Bass. Anybody there? We don't know him. Anybody never heard him. Or heaven forbid, oh, man, that guy ain't about nothing. Okay, so you you want to make sure that you're about something. And then I said, you know, for me, gospel does it just being able to represent it the way that that I choose to do it, even down to the stuff that I write. Now, the the thing you do with veterans is that you've got a song. The next song we're going to listen to is Remember the Mm -hmm. Vets. Do you Mm -hmm. do a veteran ministry through the church as well? Or is the song just about that? Yeah, our, our church, we have a veterans ministry. First of all, I've never, um, I was never in the military. Okay. I've got relatives that were in the military. My, my dad's a Navy guy. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister was a, as an Army veteran. So, and I grew up around Army base, I mean, you know, Fort Monmouth, right. you know, and uh, in, in Fort Dix, okay, McGuire Air Force Base. <laughs> but the closest I ever got to military experience back when they had the draft. Yeah. And everybody had the numbers and stuff. And when we had draft councils in high school and all that kind of stuff. Okay. I remember my number was like in the thirties or something. And they were yeah. coming down, coming down. And the one thing that I can I remember about, you know, what then president Nixon did for me was that he ended the draft. Right. And when he ended the right. draft, it was like, it was like right before it was getting to me. Cause back then the choice was I wasn't going to Canada. Okay. Um, yeah. A conscious objective. You know, I wasn't necessarily, you know, developing up to kind of go that route. So the other dude was trying to get a student deferment so I could go to, to school. But uh, after he made that decision, you know, that was easy. So with that in mind, it's like, okay, the thing is talking to some of the military people, you know, and you listen to their experiences and stuff. And when you look at certainly the history uh, uh, of the military as it relates to African-Americans, is not necessarily one to, you know, be proud about. Okay, although we've overcome on you know a whole lot of things. As a matter of fact, I got a book here now. My pastor loves this because he always talks about he's a book nod. I never told him I love books too. But this one's called Forgotten: The Untold Story of D-Day's Black Heroes at Home and at War. And the book is about you know this unit that used balloons. You know the Goodyear blimp that you right. see you know at football games. Well, back in World War II, they had a whole unit. Okay, and they were there during D Day. Right, they used they were. I've I've seen pictures of the 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 dirigibles and the the yeah, and 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 they were so effective. They even you know it it was ingenious enough to be able to hook up certain kind of things so that when the planes would hit it, okay, this thing would come up and hit the planes and blow up so much so that the Germans, you know, when they came over and saw those balloons, they gave them a whole lot of respect. And they didn't fly, which made it easy for those guys who were coming on the beach. They started to deal with all the other stuff, but they didn't have planes and things. But that group was never known until this lady wrote this particular book. Okay, So that, together also with the notion that there is a certain, uh, you know, faction, let's just say, who likes to believe that they have the market cornered on patriotism kind of wrap themselves in the flag, et cetera, and all yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of stuff and believe that, okay, wow, you know, unless you, you know, uh, bleeding the, the flag and everything, you're not patriotic. Of course, we know that's not true. Like I said, I got relatives in there. So my thing was also the veterans that came from World War II, they were treated much differently than the ones who, you know, uh, came back from Vietnam. Right. Or the ones, you know, even Korea, they was treated a little bit better, but when you get from Vietnam, after you know, found out what was going on, the public found out Pentagon Papers and all that. The government was not telling us the truth and stuff. Yeah. So you, when you get to from the Vietnam War and call, come all of the current things, I mean, stuff like the GI Bill is different than you know uh, what they had in World War II. So when when you look at the level of care in some of the uh, you know the veterans' homes and stuff, I experienced that with my father who passed the cancer. Okay, um, and he went up and, you know, yeah, it was either going to be lung cancer or, 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 or uh, cirrhosis of the liver, but it turned out to be lung cancer. But the thing is, he went in and they were supposedly going to give him a test and what they were giving him was uncomfortable. Uh, and so they let it go. And then when we went the last time, it was a little too late. And that's when they decided, let's put him to sleep instead of trying to take this tube and stick it down his throat. Oh, my gosh. But the point is, you know, even with all of that, Okay, I've got a buddy of mine named Lewis Wright. 
you know, Junior from Lakewood, New Jersey, who's a veterans advocate. And he does things. There's a lot of families who don't even realize that they're entitled to particular benefits and things, you know, because their loved ones are gone or records lost or something like a medal of freedom. So my thing was, I wanted to, and there's a lot of songs, a lot of good songs. I mean, one song I like is The Battle of the Green Berets by Barry Saunders and, and a couple yeah. others. Okay. You remember um, what was on the I, flip, do you remember what was on the flip side of that? No. What was that? Routine Patrol. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. I mean, we, we, we grew up, you know, it was our era too, man. We grew up listening to that. We had 45s and I just thought it was so cool because uh, yeah. it was about these guys doing a routine patrol and got shot down and shot, mm-hmm. you know, got shot up. Mm-hmm. And I just remember the last line of the song is like, and I never went again on routine patrol. Yeah, see that? Pretty heavy stuff. Story. But so my thing was, um, I wanted to write a song that would put the emphasis not on the politics, yeah. not on the gender, everything. I wanted to write a song that would put the emphasis where I thought it should be, which was on the vets, mm-hmm. on the veterans. Okay, whether you were old, young, white, black, LBG, whatever, if you put on that uniform and you took that oath, to serve and protect and fight the Constitution. You're a veteran, okay? And I just felt, you know, you ought to be remembered. And that's what Absolutely. it's about. Now, the other side of the coin is that I happen to work on a Navy base here at the Washington Navy Yard. Uh-huh. Um, and so I'm in a situation where there's uniform officers and things around. And and, and the genesis of the song, you asked earlier about if, if uh, we have a group at my church, we do have a veterans ministry. And we were introduced to a national group called the National Association for Black Veterans, okay? Uh, and we started a DC chapter at my church and kind of put it together with the um, veterans ministry. Uh-huh. And so what happened was the people there knew that I was involved, you know, in music and wrote songs. So they got my sister to ask me if I would write them a song for, you know, the local chapter at our church. And so I said, okay, here's an opportunity for me, for me to make a particular statement. And so, as I said, the, the sentiment was very direct, which is to say, you know, remember the vets. And so I used this opportunity to do that. But then after I wrote the lyrics, since I work on a military base, what I did was uh, I showed the, the lyrics to a lot of uniform officers over there, mm-hmm. white, black, old, young, male, female. And I asked them, I said, you know, read these lyrics and tell me if any of this speaks to the experience that you've had or, or you know of someone having. And everybody who read the lyrics to the song, they all said the same thing. Hey, you know, this is spot on. This this is this really, you know, gets it. And there was one young lady, um, one sister, um, who said there was a particular line in every mind in her of her deployment over in Iraq. Okay. Really? So right around the time we, I was putting together my latest album, which is all over the place. So I told the band, hey, you know, um, we're gonna include that. Uh, on it, and they were great. I mean, you know, I've got some great guys I've been working with. Harry Jackson, who's my band director and bass player. Uh-huh. We've got a new guy now, you know, um, Grady Beasley playing drums. We got now these, these are the DBGs, right? These, these are the DBGs, and then we have, uh, you know, Artie, Harold Artie Campbell, you know, who plays keyboards. And I got my sound guy, one of those lessons I learned, you know, mm-hmm. you have your own sound. Okay, his name is Kevin Walls. And right now, we are looking for, you know, a guitar player, someone who's interested in sticking and staying. But anyway, I told the guys, hey, look, we're going to record this and, and, and put this on a CD. So we came up with the arrangement, did that. Um, and presented the group. They liked it. Okay. And there's a local chapter in that's at the church. And so some some of the regional people got it to the, the national leadership. That year they were having their national enclave down in Charlotte. And so I was invited to go down um, to present the song to them, play it for them. And so that's what I did. I went down, played the song. Uh, and by the time my wife, Gail, and I were driving back, to uh, home here, you know, in uh, D.C., I get a, a text message saying that the national leadership had voted to make that song the organization's official song. And in fact, wow, um, next that's next cool. Monday, next um, yeah, next Tuesday, um, at our Veterans Administration, they're on the base. They're going to play the song. And I'm also happy to say that when we have our veterans program at our church, Springfield Baptist Church, uh, they'll play the song there as well. So it's called Remember the Vets. And as I said, the emphasis is you know it's what it says remember the vets and this is the song we're gonna play it right now it's david bass and remember the vets (laughs) 
In a far off land Many miles away There's men and women From the USA A tour of duty In a place unknown Adjusting to life In a new time zone With unknown dangers A moment away Every sacrifice Is a price to pay With honor and care There's a job to do And maybe one day It will call on you Whenever it comes And the call is met Offer a little prayer And remember the vets Serving the country that the world looks to Fighting for freedom when the call comes through So when you see them, don't ever forget Offer a prayer and remember the vets With honor and care, there's a job to do And maybe one day, it will call on you Whenever it comes and the call is met Offer a little prayer and remember the this country that the world looks to fighting for freedom when the call comes through so when you see them don't ever forget offer a prayer and remember the vets with honor and care there's a job to do and maybe one day it will call on you whenever it comes And the call is met Offer a little prayer And remember the hits song remember the vets here on the music of america podcast i'm your host tom pollard it's really this simple you buy kitty's litter box you open the box you place the litter in the box introduce the box to your cat when the cat has done their business for about a month or so close the box and throw it away that's it just close the box grab the handle of this biodegradable box and throw it away perfect for traveling with the favorite feline in the family affordable convenient You know, it's the one thing I didn't like about cats. I don't know how it became my job, but I had to clean the litter box. Well, now, now if Kitty's litter box were around 20 years ago, who knows? I might still have cats. Kitty's litter box, all lowercase, kittyslitterbox.com. Order today. It's perfect. Dave Bass, this has been too much fun already. (laughs) It's kind of ironic because the next song is called When Will It End? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll get to that in a minute but uh your band we kind of touched on the last segment and i, I want to mm-hmm. give them their props mm-hmm. so let's run through who's in your band the dbgs and what are the dbgs right well as i said uh my band director we've been together you know a, a real long time his name is harry jackson harry's a, a really phenomenal guy accounting and finances what he does but he's also a photographer you know he's kind of like you know one of the individuals got a whole lot of talent abilities and stuff um he's the bass player in the unit and the glue back there uh and the band director we have our carol artie campbell plays keyboards always a mm-hmm. great guy you know fun loving fella you know plays and stuff the newest current member i say newest current because he's with us 
was getting ready to join one time, but then you know he had to step away because his then job was going to relocate him to uh, Newport News. And so uh, after the pandemic came in, which shut everything down, I'm in the process of reactivating the band. So anyway, I got in touch with a gentleman named Grady Beasley. And uh, he was playing the drum, so he's going to get back in the fold. So that's three pieces. Uh, it's a four-piece. And so I happened to be, you know, looking for a guitar player because right before the pandemic, um, you know, one of my guys, you know, mentioned that he was going to step off going in another direction, you know, and play some blues. And he was real good. I went to some of his programs. My thing is I've never been trying to hold anybody back. So, but that's the band. And the reason why it's important, we talked earlier about this with respect to the Sam Cooke piece. Um my first CD that I did was called uh, The Welcome Table, and I had an opportunity to work with a gentleman named Al Johnson. Al Johnson here in the Washington, D.C. area is somewhat of, you know, he's like our resident, he, or he was, he's deceased now, uh, was our resident uh, Stephen Wonder. This guy was a genius. He was a graduate of Howard University. Um, he had a, a group that had two national hits. The group was called the Unifics. Most of them were you know, graduates of Howard University. And that song called The Court of Love and the Beginning of My End. Al was singing lead on it. Um, but he was also a producer. So after I sang with uh, the quartet that I was with here in D.C. for about 13 years, the spiritual volunteers, most of us, all of us, you know, were related to or connected to Springfield Baptist Church, my church. In fact, two of them are still mm -hmm. there, you know, Charles Mays and Stan Johnson. Um, but when I decided to step off from them, you know, a buddy of mine said, well, you got some songs and everything, but you don't play any music. So what you probably need to do is find a producer because a producer, you know, will have access to the studio and musicians. And so that's what I did. So on the first CD, uh, I I wrote the songs and I told them how I wanted them to go. And Al did the, the, the orchestration on it. So when I got down to going out doing those songs, I said, well, now what I've got to do is find a band, some musicians. And the thing I was looking for was musicians who had open ears musicians who uh, had the discipline of jazz musicians, but had the feel and desire to play gospel. And the whole point of that is that, you know, I'm a singer, okay? And it's about, you know, accompaniment, okay? Uh, right. and, and folks, you you know, who not, you know, filling the spaces, et cetera, and all that kind of be supported. In comes the Dave Bass Group or the DBG. So that was the whole significance for them. And that's why they're super important and still important, even though, I've come from a situation where you had to be able to sing without music. And so while a band has been in, uh, inactive until we get it back up, I'm still doing things, going yeah. places, singing acapella, et cetera, and all that. Um, but the band is super important. It's super significant to, you know, the whole, and, and Kevin Walls, who's my sound guy. Yeah. Because right. I said, I've been in situations where, you know, uh, the sound wasn't right, or maybe the church system wasn't right, et cetera, and all that. And, you know, you could have Sam, you could have, you know, Teddy Print of Gas, you could have the Beatles up there, right. you know, but, you but if nobody sound, can man. hear them, uh -huh. okay, then, you know, don't make a difference. So the DBGs are very important and crucial. So They're DB, DB, DBGs, the Dave Bass Group. Group, okay. I was wondering, because it's got to be Trying to get that G with goodness, you can put anything you want as long as it's positive. <laughs> <laughs> or Dave, Bass, Dave, Bass, Dave Bass and God. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, you know, put me under him, you know, because you know he's a jealous cat. I don't want to, yeah. you know, I don't want to take my throat away, man. Because yeah. hey, man, you know, you I know. let you sing, and now you're trying to, you know, sing me. He uh -huh. does have a have a have a notoriety for certain wrath, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Well, the last song here is <laughs> "When Will It End." Uh, mm -hmm. It's really interesting because there's so many things going on in the world right now that mm -hmm. point to point a lot of people that I talk to, a lot of Christians that I talk to, that are talking mm -hmm. about end times scenarios. You know, mm -hmm. with what's going on in Israel, with what's going on in the world, with what's going on with a pandemic, with wars, earthquakes, floods, all this stuff. Is this an end of time, you know, a rapture end times kind of song or? No, 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 no. This song comes out of a confluence of a lot of experience and work that I've done in the past, primarily here in the Washington, D.C. community. Mm -hmm. Did a lot of work. You know, I've only been here working for the government for like maybe 15 years. But prior yeah. to that. You know, 25 plus years, I work with youth development here in Washington, D.C. with different nonprofit groups gotcha. dealing with issues as it relates to youth, uh -huh. one of which was teen pregnancy prevention. There's a group here called Concerned Black Men. They had a particular program back when teen pregnancy was, you know, a big issue uh, where we went in men and talked to groups of guys and we had two messages. If they become teen fathers and the emphasis was on responsibility. If they had not become fathers, and of course the emphasis was on abstinence and trying to get yourself together. 
another issue that dealt with, you know, was with the drug piece. Okay, I worked for DC Public Schools and we were coordinators based at, you know, junior high school providing programming, you know, training with teachers and students as it relates to, you know, substance abuse prevention. The last piece, I worked with a group here, a nonprofit group. Uh, now they are called the Brady Center to Prevent Gun Violence. But at the time I worked with, there was two organizations. There was the Handgun Control Inc., which was a lobbying side. Uh -huh. And then there was the Center to Prevent Handgun Violence. And that's the same organization that um, Sarah Brady, whose husband, Jim Brady, was the press secretary right. in, in the assassination attempt with Ronald Reagan. Right. Okay. Uh, four people got shot that day. Three recovered. The one that didn't recover was Mr. Brady. And, and so as a result of that, they got more active in this whole issue as it relates to guns and that kind of thing. And at one time, when when uh, Bill Clinton was president, we actually had a ban on 19 different types of assault weapons. I was there, you know, when he signed it into, you know, we, we all were there. Okay, but it got sunset, et cetera. So the other side to that, because of all the drugs, et cetera, and all that kind of stuff, you had the different, you know, things happening in the community. Then that's when they started passing all these draconian laws and stuff one of which was passed down in Florida called Stand Your Ground. And so what the deal with that is that you basically, you know, in the past it was like, well, okay, if somebody comes into your particular sphere, your home, et cetera, whatever, you had a right if you felt threatened. Yeah. The Stand Your Ground law expanded that beyond that and said, well, look, okay, you don't have to wait for somebody to come into your particular sphere of operation on your home, et cetera. As long as you feel that somebody is a threat to you, you have the right to shoot them. Okay. Oh now, God. when this law was passed, you know, it was like, hey, man, you know, in addition to all that other with all the guns and stuff we have out there, but this law right here, a lot of folks saying, no, you know, this is a bad law. And so the first evidence of how bad this law was was what happened with Trayvon Martin mm -hmm. down in Florida. Right. Okay. Right. The kid was going to get some candy. The guy took it upon himself. He didn't like the way he looked, pursued him, shot him, etc., whatever. So when all that came about, I'm looking at this, looking at all the different things I've been involved in. So particularly with that, I wanted to I wanted to lend some 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 um, I wanted to lend to the conversation that was going on at the time with respect to that particular law, standing around the guns and all that. Um, and so looking at that, looking at what I've been dealing with, also looking at the impact, you know, the negative impact that that all of that stuff had mm -hmm. uh, on the community that I lived in on people that look like me, that is black males or whatever, okay, it just begged a rhetorical question, when will it end? Yeah. Okay, and so with that in mind, I wrote the song, and then after I wrote the song, it was never about profiteering off the song. As I said, you know, it was a lot going on at that time. In fact, at one point, I even tried to connect with uh, Trayvon Morris people because they were starting the foundation. I wanted to, you know, interest them in maybe, you know, use a song, say the way um, NAD Vets is using the veteran song, you know, adopting it. But, yeah, you know, yeah. they, they they were moving in another direction. It so, just hit me, David, just hit me. This is your change going to come. Well, this, well, your, I, this well, is your change going to come. Well, yeah. it's interesting said because I actually wrote another song, that, you know, that lends itself to that. And there's a DVD on my website with that. Yeah. But for this particular one, you know, uh, when I when I did it, it's like, well, OK, um, a lot of the organizations that I work with, one of which here in D.C. was the Greater Urban, the Greater Washington Urban League. I approached uh -huh. them, explained to them what I was doing. They agreed to underwrite it or, or help underwrite it. Uh, also, the um, the the uh, Boys and Girls Club here in Washington D.C. You know, they helped underwrite it. Okay, I actually I take that back. It wasn't them? It was a group called the National Congress of Black Women. That's the group that Shirley okay. Chisholm started. Right, right. Okay, right. she was the first black person to run for president. Okay, I was a sister. Remember, that was a lady. Um, but you know, Dr. Efe Williams over there. You know, uh, they they um, supported and the quartet that I used to sing with the Spiritual Volunteers. So we recorded the song, and each one of those organizations got copies. You know, but and and the hope was that you know the radio stations release play it and it would contribute, you know, to the then conversation. When you right. listen to the lyrics in the song, the different things that's going on, and now every since, you know, well, certainly leading all the way up to George Floyd, you see that, you know, the question is still very resonant and it resonates right now. When will it end? Because there's still a lot of negative things happening with respect to the African-American community, specifically males. And so that's really, you know, what is what, what it was about affirmation so far is that as long as you can remind folks to think about it, it don't go away. You won't sweep it under the rug. Okay. Right. 
And so with social media and things that we have now, it's 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 harder to kind of you know, <laughs> folks say do dirt because it's going to come out. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's right. Uh, so that's really what it, that's what it was at. It wasn't necessarily like an apocalyptic kind of thing or whatever. It was just no, it's a, it's a my, better message, my thing, frankly. looking at all of what was going on, coming out of my experience, having yeah. worked in the community. Got it. When will it end with Dave Bass here on the Music of America podcast? Let's give it a listen. Yeah, man. Guilty by sight. A deadly trend Black is a crime When will it end? We need the truth War and justice too Live in peace As others do Another young man There on the ground Looking for answers But none are found Only seventeen Went for a snack, a brief encounter, never came back. Mm-hmm. Guilty by sight, a deadly trend. Black is a crime. When will it end? We need the truth, war and justice too. Live in peace as others do. A mother crying, a father too People are asking, what will they do? Our hands are tied up, the folk will say A vigilante I just walks away mm-hmm. Guilty by sight, a deadly trail Black is a crime when will it end? We need the truth Oh, and justice too We live in peace As others do Ooh, The world today Is so much hate The way you look And change your face But I You can stand your ground, claim a threat. Nobody's watching, and no regrets. Oh, but not this time. The world can see it cries for justice and honesty. Mm, guilty by sight, a deadly trend. Black is a crime. When will it end? We need the truth Oh, and justice too To live in peace As others do Ooh, when, when, when When will it end? A deadly trend When will it end? We need the truth Oh, and justice too To live in Dave Bass from Bowie, Maryland, here on the Music of American podcast. And when will it end, Dave? Uh, great storyteller, man. You should write these things down and turn it into a book. But uh, kind of a long show, but I, I, I dug it, man. Dug it. Now, this is the part of the show where we call it shameless self-promotion. So mm-hmm. it's where you tell us, like, you can tell us about your website, where we can find your music, your videos, any merch that you sell, anything that you got online that monetizes and helps you in your ministry, mm-hmm. you let mm-hmm. it go. Let's hear it. Sure. 
I would say that the, the thing to put out, because I just did a refresh this year, is my website. The website is www.davebassgospel.com. That's www.davebassgospel.com. If you go to that, you know, my music is there. You can download it. My music is available on all of the, the uh, digital platforms, Spotify, et cetera, whatever. It's mm -hmm. there. You can download it. The music that he played today is available up there. The song that I spoke about, um, you know, We Made It Through, that's you know, on the current CD. All of my music is available there. That's the place. The other side, if you want to contact me, you can also, there's a place on the website where, you know, you can leave a message. But my email is D as in Dave, N as in Nancy, B as in boy. So that's D N B as in boy dot music at verizon.net. That's D N B dot music at verizon.net. And then finally, my music line if someone just, you know, needs to, you know, get some voices in there, that's 301 390 8841. That's 301 390 8841. Uh, but the best way they can support me, really, you know, is if they go to that website and, you know, if they hear some music on there that, that they like, there's other songs uh, on there. Uh, they can, you know, certainly download it and and, and uh, you can check out the, the video. The video is not available, um, but it's up there. <clears throat> um, and so that's how, you know, and of, and of course, you know, um, if there's anyone there, you know, say in the D.C. metropolitan area that um, plays guitar. Plays guitar. I'm going to say that you may be interested in joining a group of guys. And I must say, I'm looking for someone who's interested um, in sticking and staying. They've got yeah. what I, I call them gunslingers. That's not a, to cast aspersion on them. Just that, yeah, people are very, very talented and they choose not to be connected, you know, long term with one particular organization. That's fine. It's well, it, gets that, back, it gets back to that story when the, the pastor asked them cats, are you with the church? You know, and they're like, <laughs> well, yeah. well, yeah, you see some of them on the show, but they, they kind, of, kind of move around. But uh, this speaks to the whole thing about with respect to the reason why, again, with the Sam Cook, yeah. you know, flavor that's there, it was important to have the right kind of musicians, you know, to support right. what I'm doing. And so that's what they're really, that's why I say the DBGs are extremely crucial. But the people that come in, those individuals, their mindset has, has to be right. So, as I said, if you're in the, in the DMV, as we call it here, D.C., uh, Maryland, Virginia area, Northern Virginia, really. Uh, again, you know, looking for guitar player. If you're looking, you know, to to find a, a musical home with some guys like-minded, you know, spiritual guys, uh, you know, I don't wear my religion on my sleeve. And I tell my guys, you know, I want them to have open ears. Um, you know, I collect music and books and things. If you come down in my basement, I have, I have stuff down there that you would probably be surprised about. I got jazz down there. I got country and western. Yeah. Um, I used to work for a radio syndicator, Dick Clark was one of the owners and I cleared radio shows on program stations, the highest mm -hmm. rated stations, top 170. Mark, you're a radio guy. I saw in your background. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Probably clear something out in your neck of the woods. And he had all kinds of shows and stuff. Okay. Weekly countdowns, et cetera, and all that. And we had to right. deal with, you know, trying to get with him. And so uh, when we would send the shows out back then, they were on a vinyl record and we'd send the stuff out. And after a certain point, you know, they ran it, they got to destroy it. Well, naturally, you know, we're working in that environment, you know, you get to see stuff, Okay, I want this here. Okay, <laughs> so you know I've got stuff over there, some old shows, and you know, and that's right when he was starting to get into, they ended up um, merging with another company and started making things available on satellites and everything. All this, you know, is leading up to what we now have with all the streaming. But this is back in its infancy stage. But yeah. my point is, I have all kinds of music, and I, and I like my guys to, to listen to all kinds of stuff. And I would tell them, hey, look, man, you know. I'm not making any value judgments on, on anybody religious-wise. You know, I, you know. Certainly, I want you to 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 know what your faith is, and you know, it helps you to be a part of a church, okay? Because you're gonna, you know, you're gonna be asked a question, so you need to be in a position to, to say whether or not. I'm not gonna speak for you, whatever. But when we're down here, you know, uh, at the time we were rehearsing here in the basement, we're not gonna do that now because of the COVID thing and. Uh, my mother-in-law is, is kind of up there, and when she's around, us a lot. So. Um, I've got some friends out and we're going to find another spot to to be rehearsing when we finally do get guys together. But when we're down there, you've come down there, man, you might hear some Bootsy Collins, you might hear some James Brown, you know, you <laughs> might hear some Nat King Cole, okay, uh, I might decide I want to do something or whatever. But when I get up to sing in the church or whatever, in the area, I'm happy to say, folks, you know, when they say Dave Bass, they go, oh, that guy's saying gospel. Because that's, that's right. what I do and I tell everybody, that's 
there's a promoter for years over in, in the uh, Del Marva over in Delaware. They have a jazz concert over there, and he he always wanted me to come uh, over, you know, and say, man, you know, can you just, you know, he wanted me to do a Sam Cooke tribute, you know, doing the pop stuff. And I've got a tribute that I do for Sam. It's called Sam on Sunday. We did it, but it pays attention to Sam's career with the Soul Stairs because cool. to me, that's the whole foundation and essence of Sam. The other stuff was great too. Right. Make no mistake about it. But to me, you can't get to that, you know, without him having developed his stuff, okay, there in, in the gospel field. So for me, everything that I want is right here in gospel. I want to be big, Mahalia Jackson. I like her because she showed what gospel, how big you can be in gospel. She had sure. all of the major, you know, things that, you know, on TV, Donna Washington of a day, et cetera, and all that. Okay. Sam, because of the entrepreneurial side, because he's on his own label and stuff. The first group he signed was the Soul Stairs because he wrote, et cetera, and all that. Um, and then my church, believe it or not, has part of the history. Our church, the very first minister was, was ready. Reverend Eddie Gallman and his daughter, Madam Edna Gallman Cook, was a nationally known gospel recording artist, a contemporary of the Soul Stirring with, with Sam, contemporary of Mahalia Jackson, Clara yeah. Ward. Okay. And she was the only one, I believe, of, of, of her generation who she was a college educated woman. And, you know, you you hear, say, the style that, that um, Shirley sees has where she does like the sermonettes and things. Right, right, right. Okay? Well, Madam Edna Gallman Cook, you know, I was, that was, in her wheelhouse, you know, she yeah. does a lot of stuff. Okay. So, um, I, you know, I, I didn't know all that before I went to Springfield in terms, I knew about Madam Nenegama Cook, but I didn't know that that Springfield was a church. Okay. To wow. me, that was just like, wow, you know, the man upstairs kind of lining stuff up, but I always, you know, uh, always like saying that, you know, Madam Nenegama Cook, and she's no relation by the way to Sam. Okay. Well, Dave, one more time, plug your website. Sure. Sure. That is www.dave.com bassgospel.com okay and uh, if you want to you know email is dnb.music at verizon.net and the telephone number to my music line is 301-390-8841 and you know I'd love to to, to come and, and fellowship with anybody in everywhere I'm a little antsy about the flying but you know <laughs> since, I, since I go with God and I gotta you know uh, practice what I preach. It just said, you know, when, when I go, I sing. We, we recently went down to Nashville to see some friends of ours down there. Got on the plane, yeah. sang, sang everything. I do my pre-flight maintenance. I don't eat when I'm on the plane. Not if, not if they want, don't want me to leave something on the plane. <laughs> and, so, but you know, I got so I've been doing enough so I know just about what to do. But I, you know, I love going anywhere to sing. Um, you know, I really well, do. And, and people don't have to always welcome you. David, it's been good having you on. Thank you, sir. It's hey, been a real blessing. I appreciate it. I appreciate uh, that. Thank you much. That's, uh, that's Dave Bass from Bowie, Maryland. I almost called it Bowie. <laughs> 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 Made it this far. <laughs> Dave Bass from Bowie, <laughs> Bowie, Maryland. Up next, we're going to Walford, Maryland. Meet Amy Floyd right here on the Music of America podcast. You've been listening to the Music of America podcast. If you like today's show, please go to the website at www.musicofamericapod.com or our Music of America podcast Facebook page. Like us and follow the show and episodes. We tally the votes of all our shows, and the most listened to shows will be rebroadcast on our best of shows at the end of the season. I look forward to having you with us again and listening to the Music of America.